What's up, heroes, and welcome to episode 109 of the Producer Life podcast. I've got a couple of big announcements, so please hang around after the interview. Today, I've got John Burke from Perfect Vocals Academy. John has been working in the music industry for 17 years and has experience in everything from being a touring musician to running a record studio to his current project of a remote mixing and mastering service with a specialization in vocals. He's also worked with Sean Giovanni, who you may remember from episodes 66 and 95. In this episode, John talks with us about finding his niche, his vocal mixing process, how to improve your home recordings, his go-to plugins, and a lot more. But first, cue the intro music. All right, John, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm excited. This is going to be good. I've always struggled with uh, mixing vocals, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your advice and tips and tricks. And I, I guess as I was thinking about how to begin the interview, I, I wanted to know, you know, where did you get your early interest in audio engineering? How did, how did you get to the point where you are today? Uh, well, honestly, I, I went to school a long time ago in... Uh, Hollywood. I went to Musicians Institute and I got a recording certificate there. And then I started recording at some studios in the Cleveland, Ohio area. I was doing a lot of bands. So I was working mm -hmm. for a guy that had his own label. It was like an independent label uh, called Standby Records. And he he basically had a lot of bands coming through and I was the, I was the head engineer. I, I, it kind of fell in my lap because I was interning for a guy and then he ended up quitting like two months later. So I, I became a head engineer. <laughs> I became a head engineer at this place, like literally right out of college. And I was, you know, recording bands for about three years straight, uh, pretty much 60 hours a week for three hours straight. So, I mean, I got my feet wet quick um, in audio engineering. You got soaked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just jumped in with both feet. That, that's right. awesome. What a, what a turn of luck. Right, right. So, okay. yeah, so I, yeah, so I started out there and then that guy ended up, you know, I don't know, going a different direction. I guess he didn't want to pay his studio bills anymore. So some other studio kind of like took over. So I ended up making my own studio called Vibe Recording Studios. And uh, so then I continued to record bands for another three to five years. And then, um, then the market kind of changed a little bit. And then I ended up doing a lot more for solo artists. So bands ended up kind of recording themselves more. So I wasn't getting as many bands, but then solo artists were just coming out of the woodwork. Um, hmm. So that's kind of how I got, got to be the vocal guy, I guess you would say is because, you know, I'd get all these solo artists basically starting in like 2014, 15, I started just getting flooded with, with uh, vocal work, you know, people coming in with instrumentals, beat stems, and just wanting to do a, a bunch of vocal production. And, so, you know, now to this day, I'm still doing a lot of that. I get some band, uh, band projects here and there, but still, I'm, I'm still doing a lot of, uh, recording artists, solo artists. So that's kind of how a little background for you. What do you think changed in the market where there were fewer bands interested in doing it? And I would think as a do it yourself or, you know, a band would be 
harder to record because you've got so many different microphones and so many different complexities of how to mic up a, a kick drum versus a snare versus a guitar. I would think that's a lot harder than recording for a solo artist. It kind of surprises me that the solo artists were coming out and the um, the bands were doing it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one thing that kind of made it that way is because a lot of the bands I worked with were kind of like hard rock or heavy or metal. So they weren't very like organic sounding bands. So a lot of those bands that I was already like, you know, in my network kind of like started getting an interest for programming drums and recording guitars direct instead of miking up amps and stuff. So when people started, you know, really getting into this, uh, there's a guy named Joey Sturgis that like really took off as far as uh, heavier music goes. And all his productions were like program drums and direct guitars and stuff. So once these bands started, you know, just getting these, getting the software, sitting down in their, you know, space and programming drums and doing stuff. I think a lot of bands like doing it themselves because they're like, hey, I could do this and I could save money, just buy the software once. And so, I mean, if my market, if if my network, I should say, was more organic bands, maybe like alternative or like indie or stuff like that, maybe it would have been slightly different, but a lot of the stuff I was working with was a little heavier. So. Okay. And I understand we have a mutual friend with uh, Sean Giovanni in Nashville. Oh yeah, for sure. So you, you worked at his studio for a little while and, and kind of uh, got into the Nashville market also, and then, then moved back to Ohio. Exactly. Yeah. I was, uh, I linked up with Sean. I hit up a bunch of different studios in Nashville when I moved down there and Sean was uh, somebody that got back to me and, and I sat down with him and he really, uh, liked the experience I had with, with solo artists, especially, uh, hip hop artists and stuff. Cause he gets a lot of hip hop and rap artists that come through there, especially in Nashville. Um, there's not a lot of studios that are diverse, like, like his. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of like, you know, we kind of hit it off and, and he gave me a shot and, you know, it went great to be honest. Like every, yeah. all the clients were, were very happy working with me and they would even request working with me coming back. Um, so it was a, it was a great time. And, and Sean, he has a great like philosophy as far as like how to look at the business in general. And it was nice seeing somebody. Um, it was a great influence for me business wise to see somebody just really, uh, want to add value. I, I think so many guys just want to like collect money and just, and just, uh, you know, make it more about like just the job, but like, he's very like in touch with being personable with people and like really adding value and, and making sure that that person is comfortable, which is, which is huge. It taught me a lot. Yeah. I think he's the only person that's been on my podcast twice and, and I've learned a lot every time he's been on. One of the things that you said that reminded me about that relationship was, you know, you called yourself the vocal guy. And one of the things that I remember Gio saying was that, you know, you want to kind of find that that niche where you can stand out. You know, you you can't just be a mix engineer anymore. You need to have some sort of a focus. So I find it really interesting that, you know, you you have sort of carved that niche out for yourself with Perfect Vocal Academy and, you know, your focus on vocals, which is is so critical to any mix. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I learned that a lot. Uh, I've, I've listened to Graham Cochran a lot and stuff. I mean, so I, I definitely listen to certain people that that really emphasize how important it is to to really just find your 
your strong points and, and, and rock with that because, uh, yeah, when you try to wear too many hats, it, it doesn't really get you that far nowadays. Yeah. So, um, certainly for my listeners, you know, you can help with mixing and mastering through vibe recording studio, but then the, the other thing that you're really focusing on right now, which, uh, we talked about before the show was perfect vocal Academy and you're, you're basically teaching producers how to do a better job getting their vocals to sit in a mix. Um, tell me about, tell me about what you guys offer in terms of courses and, and kind of, uh, what your, what your plans are with that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So Perfect Vocals Academy started with just basically a, a YouTube channel and a blog back in 2019. And I've put out like well over a hundred videos. Uh, some of them started off to be just kind of me talking for like a minute. And then when I started realizing how valuable like tutorials were, like specifically tutorials between like 10 and 20 minutes, I've been putting out a lot more of that in the past year. Um mm-hmm. People really seem to like that. So I put out tons and tons of of info and I didn't really start Perfect Vocals Academy to be, you know, something really money related, but I did have a lot of requests from people about like a course, just something that that would just be just a one-stop place to really dive in. So I did make a, a course called the Vocal Mixing Masterclass. And as you could tell with the title, it's literally all about like the ins and outs of vocal mixing so i go over like editing vocals as far as timing pitch correcting with with melodyne pitch correcting with autotune uh in graphical uh graphic mode um compression eq a lot of people are into um especially myself into like dynamic eq and multi-band compression so there's there's full uh modules on that as well so it's if i could uh tell you how uh how could i word this it's basically a very modern approach to vocal mixing. You know, a lot of times you'll read like books and stuff like that, and it'll just kind of have outdated info. So I wanted to make something that's really uh, the way that I mix to this current day and the way that I know a lot of other guys are mixing. So it's, it's a very, very current source okay. um, of, of infor, infor, information. So. I know, I know in my own production, I'm very Ableton Live centric, but um, you, you use Pro Tools. So for the things that you're offering both on YouTube and in your masterclass, how relevant is it for somebody that's using a different DAW? I'd say really relevant because I think only two out of the 15 videos is like Pro Tools, like uh, Pro Tools setup and hotkeys and stuff like that. The rest of it is all about mixing. So you could okay. easily translate that to, uh, to other programs. Okay, great. Um, so would you mind, obviously you've got, I forget how many hours it said, like 19 hours worth of videos or something insane like that with the masterclass, but could you briefly kind of walk us through from the moment you get a vocal stem to, um, how you, you know, export a demo track back to the artist. Can, can you walk us through your basic process just to kind of give us a, an outline to go from? Oh yeah, I'd love to. So uh, basically when somebody sends me something first, I just, I load it into Pro Tools and I just listen to, I try to hear problems right off, right off the bat. Cause I, a lot of times I already heard the song as a, for, for a song, like musically, like when the artist sent it to me, they're like, you know, check this out. So I listen to it. But then once I actually load it in, I'm just really listening for problems. A lot, a, a, a big problem 
that I stumble across is when people record from home, a lot of times they don't isolate well. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of room in the mic, which which can really cause some issues. But luckily, there are some some plugins, you know, like Isotope and different plugins that you can really strip it down some without losing too much quality. Um, so that's a big problem. Sometimes I'll ask them to re-record it at a studio. But if it's not too bad and I, and I can make it work, then then I'll just use plugins. But that's the first thing I'm listening to. I'm also are, um, are you sorry? Are you mostly talking about like background noise, and so you know just gating out the background noise, or is it the uh, echoes and reflections from the room because it's not treated acoustically? Yeah, it's it's the the echoes and reflections. So yeah, anything in between the vocals can be cut out with a gate, but it's mainly sometimes it's so bad that while they're singing or rapping, it's like you can hear the room and it adds like, like these bad resonances and stuff. So uh, it can be, it can be hard, but, but, you know, I try to make it work, you know, but like I said, sometimes I have to go over like, you know, Hey, re-record this, try this. And I'll just give some techniques of building a little DIY ISO, you know, situation at their, at their house. But, uh, and then second, what I'm really looking for is, you know, I want to put everything on time. So immediately I'm finding out the the tempo of the, of the instrumental if they didn't give it to me already. Uh, and then I line everything up to the grid because I'm all about the grid. So once everything's lined up to the grid, I can kind of visually see where the vocals are at timing wise. And I can hear it as well, but it's nice to be able to see and hear it. And so I'll, I'll nudge things around. So then I nudge. And the, the reason I like to nudge is because it key it it retains the the natural flow because a lot of times if you go chopping things up and trimming and crossfading, sometimes the, the artist will get it back and be like, oh, that that's not my flow. So I've I've I really tread lightly with t- timing editing. So nudging is a great way to do that. So it keeps is, their flow. Yeah. So nudging in Ableton means something different than I think it means in Pro Tools. What does nudging mean in Pro Tools? Oh yeah, just nudging the audio over. So so you can like okay. highlight like say like a full line or two, you know, like two lines or something that flow all together and then you can just separate that region and just kind of nudge it one way or the other. So a lot of times people uh rush it or they're way behind, so it's one of the two. It's more more often uh rushing it than way behind. A lot of people rush the beat. So you would just like highlight that whole region and then just nudge it back. And you can kind of see where the peaks of the words will just start to line right up with the pro tools grid. So that's, that's one of the first things I do before I even notice is just make sure that that's lined up. Okay. And then from, from there it's, it's all about uh, pitch correction. Mm-hmm. So I'll, a lot of times I, I stick with Melodyne because, uh, Melodyne has the least artifacts, but I do really love pitching in autotune as well um, for a really clean sound. But Melodyne really is super transparent and um, really little artifacts. So I'll, I'll usually Melodyne put put autotune like after Melodyne with like a kind of a slower retune speed just so it's not like jerking the notes at all, but it'll be nice and smooth. And so it's kind of cleaning up anything that I may have missed with uh, Melodyne. So okay, I, I I guess in my head I had always put Melodyne and AutoTune as synonymous, but they're I'm familiar with Melodyne. I know that's kind of an industry standard for tuning vocals, but 
Auto-Tune is a separate program. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, two completely different. So so uh, Auto-Tune, there's Antares Auto-Tune, so that's one company. And then you have uh, uh, Celimony, uh Melodyne. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yep. That's that's ringing a bell. Got it. And, and that makes sense that you would want to correct the pitch before you auto-tune it because if you auto-tune, you're going to wind up with all sorts of strange artifacts if you don't have the pitch right in the first place. Yeah. It'll it'll just jerk the the note to it. Like if somebody's a little too far off, it'll just take it to the wrong note. And then there and now the now it's like you're getting a revision back. Like, hey, I didn't sing that note. It might even be right in the key, <laughs> but it, it's just not the note that they sang. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, so you've got everything. You've got everything timed. You've got everything pitched. Uh, what's What's next after that? Yeah. So after that, uh, a lot of times I'm just listening for frequency problems. So a lot of times with vocals, and one of the biggest things I teach is multi band compression. Just because vocals, as they sing through a song, and they're singing low notes, high notes, super high notes, all all in between the frequencies like change throughout. So there, it, there might be a small section that's like really muddy, you know, it's like super muffled and just needs cleaned up. But then once it gets to some other notes, it, that problem goes away. So problems are kind of ever changing. So multiband compression is usually one of my first things I go to. Um, sometimes I do some subtractive EQ first, but more often than not, I I'm going for a multiband compression first. So I'm, I'm finding these certain ranges. So say if a vocal sounds muddy, I will, you know, take out a multi-band compressor and put it on that that muddy region. And then I'll just adjust the threshold to where it's really kind of clamping down whenever it's a problem. And then when when it's not a problem, maybe it's like some higher notes that aren't muddy, then it's not really doing anything. So it's it kind of I set it up to where it it kind of works when it has to. If right. That makes sense. So why multiband compression versus a dynamic EQ? Honestly, they're very similar, but for some reason, multiband compression just gets me there quicker. I, I don't know how to how to okay. explain it. Um, but dynamic EQ, I I kind of use that more to pinpoint like like specific frequencies. Like uh, say say I know that there's like a a frequency of like 3k just like biting through here and there like i'll use a, a dynamic eq but where with the multiband compressor it's kind of like you can kind of hear tons of problems in a whole range it's kind of more used as a broad way than it is like a, a narrow but you you can open up the queue on a dynamic eq and, and use it similar so you can literally get almost the same effect but i have noticed that i like the workflow with a multiband compressor more Okay. And in your videos, it looked like you were, your, your favorite is C4. That's right. Definitely. Okay. All right. So you've got it, you've got it compressed. You've got your volume levels kind of equaled out, uh, kind of smoothed out. And then what's next? Uh, so I like to pretty much do effects last, like delays and reverbs and stuff. So, so next I would say, you know, I'm doing things like DSers, um, just to, to control the sibilance. Uh, I also play around with uh, parallel processing. So I'll, I'll make like a, a stereo aux track and maybe throw like a tape saturation plugin or, or a, a compressor and just really send a, send a portion of the signal from like, say, the main vocal. So I'll send out the send and then to this bus 
and then just turn it way down in the mix and just blend it. So I, I do a lot of parallel blending and it really does take things to the next level. And that I have a whole a whole video in my course going over parallel processing as well. And I, I think that's one of the more modern approaches that sometimes people miss is is parallel processing. Like you could do it so many different ways. You can parallel parallel EQ, parallel saturation, parallel multiband compression, parallel limit. I mean, they're all going to be slightly similar, but you know, they're all options, you know. Okay. Is is there a major I've heard some artists talk about for parallel processing, just duplicating the track, turning the volume way down, adding the new effects they want, and then kind of gradually mixing that into the original. Is there any advantage or disadvantage to uh, using a sin track or an aux track instead of duplicating the track and and uh, doing your parallel processing there? No, I mean, I ideally it's the same thing, but I I I guess when you're doing it with the actual audio, now you're just duplicating the audio using up more storage. So. I would say probably mm. for from a storage standpoint, your session would probably be a little smaller if you just used an aux track. Um, that's and, that's a fair point. I keep having to upgrade my hard drive, so <laughs> maybe my problem. <laughs> Too many tracks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. All right. All right. So, um, so the effects, uh, and and then after that, the effects and the parallel processing is that is that kind of the last stop? Um. You know, sometimes the last stop is is making like a like an all vocals bus, and I'll and I'll send like not only the not only the audio but even those parallel um, buses. I'll I'll put all the outputs to go to just one place, so I can kind of control everything. Because sometimes if you don't do that, there might be a problem maybe in. Um, one of the parallel buses like for example i use like waves doubler like a doubling plugin sometimes mm -hmm. and sometimes when i add that it'll sound good but sometimes it might introduce like maybe some muddiness or like a problem um that really wasn't there when i was mixing the main vocal so when you send it all out of you know all into one channel now i can listen to everything is you know everything all together and just be able to to listen for any final problems because problems will end up coming out late, late in the game when you're mixing. I mean, you, you can mix the whole time and then be about to bounce it and, and start to hear something. And it's easier to just have all the vocals and effects, parallel buses, everything just go to one place. And then once that's just in that one place, then I can just throw up an EQ or, or, or another multiband compressor or something and, and just fix that problem right at the at the end of the chain okay are you uh referencing tracks throughout this or have you gotten to the point where you don't need reference tracks or what, what's your approach there yeah i don't i don't reference too much if i do reference it might be in the mastering stage so uh isotope ozone 9 has a nice feature where you can just load in a reference and you can kind of go back and forth mm -hmm. uh, but i don't usually reference during mixing i i, I find it kind of kills the workflow a little bit you, you end up going down certain paths and trying to get things i like to do things more natural and just do things how i would do it because it is you know it is an art art form you know mixing music so i like to you know use my my artwork first and then at the end of the day i you know i can always in the mastering stage just listen and if it's something i got to go back into the mix and do like if say an artist really 
wants me to reference and wants it to be very similar, then I might go back to the mix and, and tweak some things. But a lot of times you can usually make it sound similar just with mastering alone, believe it or not. Okay. Have you, in the mixing process, do you ever use um, isotopes? Oh, geez. Not mix tap. Those are the individual, that goes on the individual, tra- visual mixer. Have you ever tried their visual mixer? Um, are you talking about their, uh, the mastering assistant or are you talking about match EQ? Uh, no, it's, it's this interesting, you, you drop it on your master track, visual mixer. And then as long as you have an instance of, of an isotope plugin on each of your tracks, and that could be their lightweight mix tap, uh, plugin, um, Basically, you do all of your mixing in this separate window and it gives you sort of this crosshair. So you've got, you know, panning left, panning right, forward, backward. You can adjust width right in there. But one of the cool things about it is that you can snapshot different mixes. So you can tweak everything, adjust everything, hit snapshot, and then you can compare various mixes. Well, what happens if I push these snares back into the right? What happens if I bring the volume up here? And it's it's kind of cool. It, I didn't like it initially because it didn't copy over the names of the tracks. So if I wound up renaming tracks, it got really confusing really quickly, oh. but they've fixed that. And so I've just started using it again. And it's it's really grown on me because the, the being able to see your mix in a 2D space um, is kind of cool. So it, I don't know. I'm just... That is cool. I, yeah, I'll have, I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've really heard of that. That's cool. Yeah, Visual Mixer. I think I think it's actually free on their site, um, and it works and it communicates with all the Isotope plugins. So, um, cool. I guess speaking of plugins, you've mentioned Isotope a couple times. You've mentioned C4. Um, are, are there other plugins that are sort of your go tos? You know, I've always used Waves plugins. You know, I mean, I've been mixing since two thousand nine, and and like back then, obviously that they were the go to. You know. Um, I have used other, like when I worked at, at Geo's studio in Nashville, I, I really like the fab filter stuff. I don't currently use it, but the fab filter stuff is really, really nice and pristine. Uh, I Universal, hear lots of people talk yeah, about yeah. Pro Q3. Oh yeah, that, and I love the uh, Pro MB. Their multiband is is crazy. Hmm, okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just a comfort thing for me. I, I've, I've been using certain plugins for so long. I mean, obviously I still use new plugins that like waves comes out with and stuff. But I guess when a, when a company kind of earns your trust over the years, it's kind of, I don't feel the need to really jump ship and they're a little, little more affordable for sure than the other co- companies. So, I mean, if, if, if it doesn't, if it's not broke, you know, I don't need yeah. to upgrade, but. Sure. Absolutely. I, I don't know that there's so much of an upgrade from waves. I think so much of it comes down to, you know, when uh, your preferences and your workflow and, um, I think I gravitated towards Isotope products because um, at the time that I was getting started, uh, they offer a student discount, which is like 50%. So that's huge. And nice. Waves did not. Um, so for people that are, are students or teachers or in academia, you know, Isotope is a whole lot more affordable. Um, but, you know, like you said, once you get used to something, sometimes it's just not worth changing if, if it's not broken. Right, right. And same goes for Pro Tools. That's why, you know, a lot of people uh, will ask me, like, why do you still use Pro Tools? I'm like, well, I've been using it since 2008. So it's just once you get so good with something and, and just so comfortable, uh, it's really 
hard to make the switch. It's not saying you can't if you really needed to, but um, I rather just you know not cross that bridge if I don't have to. Okay. If somebody wants to send you a vocal stem to work on, um, or if somebody's recording a vocal stem, what are the what are the important things that they do so that you've got good material to work with? Because I, I heard you say at the beginning of the interview that basically that's the first step is making sure you've got a good recording. Because if you don't, you may have to send them back and say, well, you, you know, you got to redo this. So what are, what are a couple of key things that people can do to ensure they've got a good recording to begin with? Yeah. I mean, isolation for sure is going to be number one. Um, you know, they, they sell things, you know, you got like the chaotic eyeball and, uh, they, they have, they even sell on Amazon, like those little shields. And, you know, I would say not only use a shield, but maybe drape like a, a blanket or, or put something above that even to where there's no ceiling either. Mm-hmm. Um, just I've heard people really, use moving blankets as a, as a cheap, cheap yeah. option. Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. I mean, it's all about just testing it and trying it out. Like if it sounds good, like I remember one time, um, trying to do vocals in a closet, but it wasn't a big closet and it sounded really bad. So I'm like, no, you know, so I'm not going to do that. So it's like, you know, I would say even treatment like RLX or something, you can go to guitar center, buy some RLX and, and just have a small room and just put it all over the walls. And as long as there's RLX in there, it's, you're not really going to have too many issues. So. Okay. That's, that's the, uh, acoustic foam that you can stick to your walls and your ceiling and, Um, okay. One of the things that I've got foam and I've got treatment on my walls, but one of the things that I have not done that I've heard some audio engineers recommend, and I'm curious if, if you used it, there are some devices out there that they'll basically send you a microphone and some pieces of software, and then they use test tones and it gives you some sort of a custom EQ curve that's supposed to give you a very flat response based on your specific room. And I was wondering if you have used any of those products or if you recommend them or do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a great, a great idea. You know, I mean, I've, I've done so much like going back and forth over the years between like, you know, listening to different playback systems and stuff. And I mean, I've, I'm pretty confident with how the room's treated that I mix in, but, but yeah, it's definitely a nice thing to explore because, you know, it's just another thing to try. I think that's, that's just what it comes down to when it comes to mixing music is like, you have to try things, you know, you have to try a lot of things and some things are going to work great. Some things aren't going to work so great, but it's definitely worth trying, trying that out for sure. Okay. What, um, talk to me about kind of the, the back end of your business. So, you know, a lot of the producers and DJs that I'm talking to, they have their own websites, they've got their own mailing lists, um, I was looking at yours. It looks like you're using WordPress for your website. I know there's lots of options out there from Wix to Banzoogle. What what made you decide on WordPress? Uh, well, I I started learning a lot about that type of stuff from Graham Cochran, uh, his podcast, his business podcast. And he really recommended WordPress. Uh, I, I really liked it when I tried it out. It, it was just very... Um, I think I intended on doing blog, a lot of blogs when I first started off, even though I kind of fell mm-hmm. off with that. I'm, I'm more just YouTube now. But like as far as like if you plan on doing blogs, it's perfect. Like you can yeah. download the app. You can just be sitting at a coffee shop on your phone, just just blogging, you know, and then it goes straight onto your site. And it's just very integrated for bloggers. Um, and it's also just a really nice 
um, interface and layout, like, you know, as far as editing the site, very simple. Uh, the drawbacks I kind of have is it is very limited unless you pay the three ninety seven per year. I, I do the, the tier before that. It's only like a hundred dollars a year, but, um, hmm. but if you do want the full, full experience, you do have to pay the, um, I think they only do yearly. Um, for so interesting. So if, what, yeah, what is so, that? What does that open up for? Because I'm I'm not familiar with that. What does that open up for you? Uh, lots of different options. One of them I know for a fact was like um, I think it was like embedded wi- widgets and stuff like that. Like like you couldn't do um certain certain widgets and stuff. I'm, hmm. I believe that was one of the drawbacks. I, I had to do okay. some workarounds in, in some different areas, but um some some weird limits for sure but but yeah if if you know i would just recommend the full one if you're going to be like doing a lot of stuff with it my my website's very simple so i don't really have to do do much much like that it's just very very simple I, i'm more focused on youtube um but my website's just there to kind of put everything in one spot yeah i'm i'm using wordpress and I started off blogging much like you and then went to podcasting mostly because, you know, being a ninja, I don't like to show my face. So podcasting was a good, uh, good option for me. But Blueberry, which is my podcast provider, has a plugin for WordPress, which basically makes it like publishing a blog entry and that becomes a podcast. So it, it works really well. I like the fact that WordPress powers like 60 or 70% of the websites on the planet. So getting wow. used to WordPress is, you know, a good skill to have. One thing you might check out, um, I use a website builder called Elementor. I think it's like 60 bucks a year. So a lot less than what you were talking about with upgrading WordPress, but it gives you the ability to do some amazing widgets and it's all drag and drop and and very simple to use. But Elementor is a, a fantastic plugin for, oh, cool. for WordPress. So um, nice. might, might be something to, to check out. Uh, let's see here. Uh, looks like for your mailing list, you, you, you're using MailChimp uh, as your email service provider. There's, there's lots of different options out there. What, uh, what turns you on to MailChimp and how do you how do you like it? Oh, I really like MailChimp. Uh, I mean, honestly, just the way it the way it's set up is so user friendly. Uh, again, I started using it just because uh, Graham Cochran basically he recommended it just for people starting off. You know, I mean, because you know it's free for I think two thousand mm-hmm. two thousand five hundred maybe. No, I think it's two thousand people 2000? you can have you can have on your mailing list. Um, so you could, you could send out to 2000 max, um, and without having to pay. So it's, yeah. it's pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, so I, I haven't reached 2000 yet, so I'm, I'm definitely content with, with, uh, MailChimp. So. Okay, good, good, good place to start. I'm, I'm going to have to check out Graham Cochran. I think you've mentioned him three times. So that's, that's kind of my threshold. Oh, man. He says something three times. I got to go check it out. Oh, he's crazy. He's so, uh, well, he's the, he started the recording revolution on on youtube so if you record if you search anything recording or mixing he's usually got a video on the first page i would say um huh. he's been okay. around for about 10 years and then a couple years back or no maybe 2018 or 19 he started a business like a, a second business so it's a business podcast um he actually just put out a book uh it's on amazon so it's yeah definitely worth checking him out he's 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 a genius for sure Okay. 
One of the other things that interested me about sort of your marketing and your your technical back end, um, anytime I go do anything, I always check out Google Maps and I look at the reviews of the businesses. So, you know, Geo's the recording shop has fantastic reviews and uh, it is right there in Nashville. There's a bricks and mortar place. Your mixing studio is is online, so you don't have a physical location, but I found it on Google Maps and it's just kind of got Ohio outlined how and and you've got great reviews as well but there's no physical location on google maps how did you do that um you know i had a guy working for me uh just doing some outreach for uh clients and he he ended up bringing it up to me he's just like hey you're not on uh google for google reviews i'm like yeah i know i don't you know I don't want to put my house. I, I mix in, in a room in my house. And I'm like, I don't want to mm-hmm. just put my house. And then he's like, oh, you don't have to. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you can you can just not put your address. And I guess uh, if you just select, because I think I put it under like music producer was like the uh, thing that you pick. And then um, I think that, yeah, there's just a way to not have the address. So okay. it, as soon as I figured that out. I was like, okay, cool. So I started moving all my reviews because I used to uh, have people do it on Facebook, but I just don't like that. Google reviews is so much better. So uh, I started moving everybody over to that. Every time I do work for somebody, I'm like, hey, can you uh, leave me a Google review? So, but yeah, yeah, so, so far all five stars. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing really well. And it's, I I misspoke. It's not Ohio as a whole. It's, it's kind of the Cleveland Akron area, but yeah, yeah, there's no, hey, here's where the guy lives, but yeah, that's that's cool. I'm gonna have to get on Google and figure out how to do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, so you've got your vibe recording studio, you've got your uh perfect vocal academy, and right now you've got your master class, downloaded your three ebooks for joining your email list. So I'll make sure I've got a link to that page on the show notes page. I think you've got three different uh books that you're offering right now. No harsh vocals. Massive vocal mix and seven steps to constructing your best vocal mix, all free. Yeah, which were good. They they uh, you know walk you through a lot of the basics, which is great. What's what's your plans after the uh, master class? What's next for Perfect Vocal Academy? Um, you know, I think eventually I I want to offer kind of like a, a top tier package to where somebody can can like have one on ones with me. You know, like like over Zoom you know, to where they can bring their work to me and I can, I can just sit with them together or, you know, remotely of course, and, and really just teach them what they could do. Cause some, some people really like can take all the knowledge in and still be unsure. I've noticed that. So I think that would be what I would offer next, but for right now it's going to be the course for a while. Um, but I think that would be my next step is to really offer that okay. hands-on, uh, treatment yeah. with people. Or, or maybe you do a, um, um, sort of a group coaching call. You offer like a premium package for yeah. the mm-hmm. masterclass where it includes a weekly small group question and answer session. That might Absolutely. be a, yeah, a logical like add on or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most okay. Definitely. Awesome. And I, I think you mentioned the program you were using for your course material. What was it again? Uh, thinkific. It's thinkific. thinkific. Yeah. com And, uh, Another company that's, you know, surprisingly free even to sell on, hmm. which is which is crazy. I, I try to find things that are free just to keep keep overhead down. I mean, if I have to pay for something, I will, but you know, I'm I'm cheap a lot of times when it comes to things. So Yeah, I, I mean if there's free options that are just as good as the uh 
as as the uh, expensive ones. You know, why why spend the extra dollars? So I totally get that. Totally get that. Um, okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, and where can people find you online? Uh, so you can go to my website, perfectvocalsacademy.com. Um, I'm on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash perfectvocalsacademy. Uh, I, I have a TikTok that's actually doing pretty well. I do little little short snippets of of knowledge here and there, uh, which again, is it's all Perfect Vocals Academy across the board. So you could search it on pretty much any of those those platforms. Okay, terrific. Well, well, John, I really appreciate your time today, and you've dropped some uh, some great information, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, diving a little more into some of the the PDFs I downloaded and uh, checking out some more of your YouTube videos. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate the the opportunity to to let me on here. All right, thanks, John. Yep, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'll have all of John's links in the show notes page. Just head to producerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 109. A couple of announcements. First, I'm really excited to be performing at a three-day camping Halloween festival next weekend, October 28 to 30, in Atlanta with Syndicate Presents. I'll have a link for tickets on the show notes page. This comes on the heels of performing for Beltline Cosplay's Comics vs. Manga Day Party last weekend at the Drunken Unicorn, which was an awesome experience, and you can see some photos of that on my Instagram feed at House Ninja Music. If you follow me on social media, you know that I've been spending a lot more time performing over the last year. You may also notice that I haven't released any new music in the last seven months. I'm thrilled about performing more. But between my personal life and more post-pandemic performances, I'm having trouble balancing podcasting, producing, and performing. So I've made the difficult decision to put the Producer Life podcast on pause. This was a really hard decision for me. The show started almost two years ago during the pandemic and has 110 episodes if you count my zero episode introduction. It has more than 15,000 streams across the globe, the vast majority of which people listen to 75% or more of the episode. I've had some amazing guests from Guinness Book of World Record holders to major label artists. I've learned a lot from each of my guests and really appreciate the time they spent with me. Despite all of that, my goal has always been to be a touring producer and DJ, not a podcaster. Podcasting was a means to an end, to learn more and to network. And I've loved sharing that journey with you all, so please keep up with me on social media at House Ninja Music or join my mailing list on the website, houseninjamusic.com. But at least until I can work out more time in my schedule, I've got to hit pause on the podcast. All 110 episodes will remain available on my website if you'd like to go back and revisit any of them. And once again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to be somebody's hero today. Uh-huh.